Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Are they serving? You can say, well, Pastor, I've got it. Show me. That's what I'm looking for. Show me without saying it. It'll be noticed. See, that's the key. You don't have to stand in line and say, I'm ready for the next whatever. It will be very obvious if you're doing what God wants you to do and you're serving people with the right attitude. By the way, when you serve people, it's a good reminder for all of us, we need to be loving it. Say that with a smile. We need to be loving it. Believer, when you need guidance, hopefully you go to the Lord first. When you seek the counsel of others, be sure to seek out people who are led by the Spirit and grounded in the Word. Then, when you're sure that the counsel is sound, take it, even if it's not what you wanted to hear. Today, we'll see an instance where a leader seeks counsel from two places, one wise and one foolish. Instead of following the advice of the wise, he goes with a group of yes-men. He's determined to have his own way regardless of what's right. When we make decisions based on what we can get out of it, others are negatively affected, and ultimately we will be too. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 30, for the beginning of our message entitled, Divided Heart, Divided Kingdom. Let's just start in Second uh, Chronicles 9.30 just to get us ready to move into chapter 10. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel a 40 years. Then he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. Now you want to make sure as we go through here that you get Rehoboam, and Jeroboam separated. Because easy to get confused, and I'll remind you that it's easy for me to get confused as I go through. The 12 tribes of Israel themselves had a history of antagonism. They'd been threatening many times to split themselves. Judah referenced much, and of course, basically all of Second, First and Second Chronicles is focusing on Judah was the largest tribe of population and kind of had this prominence as the leader of the other tribes. God had given Judah that amount of property because that was the largest of the tribes. Now Ephraim was one, you remember, the kind of the preferred, the favored son of Joseph. And this tribe was not large, but they had a little bit of superiority too. And they're a northern tribe, which I'll show you in a moment you're going to see a little bit of this antagonism find its fulfillment in this chapter as we start chapter 10. So Solomon is dead. His son now takes the throne. And this is a very important chapter for you to understand how the nation of Israel split and uh, what took place in all of this because basically all of this comes because of the failure of Solomon. 
Solomon's sin, we're going to see Israel's disobedience, then the division, and eventually the captivity of the both areas of Israel. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. Now, Shechem was in that part of Israel that was Ephraim, located in Ephraim. Now when Jeroboam, now this is a different guy than Rehoboam. So we just get this opening statement that they're getting ready to crown Rehoboam. And now we're introduced to another person, Jeroboam. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. Jeroboam was a young man from the tribe of Ephraim. He was a very popular young man. Some people believe, some commentators believe, that actually Solomon was a little threatened by this young man, Jeroboam. Earlier, God spoke to Jeroboam through a prophet, Ahijah. And he really said that in the future, Jeroboam, I'm going to give you ten tribes of Israel to lead after the death of Solomon. Well, we don't really know what happened, but most people believe that Jeroboam tried to orchestrate that while Solomon was alive. And because of that, the word came and so forth, we find in the scripture that he runs basically for his life to Egypt. So Solomon, hearing that, of course, caused him to run because Solomon went to kill him. He ends up in Egypt and he stays in Egypt this whole time until he hears that who's died, that Solomon's died. So he hears Solomon has died. Now he's going to make his way back to Israel. And that's kind of what the picture is in in, uh, verse 2. So they sent for Jeroboam and he and all Israel went to Rehoboam. Again, he's already got people. It's kind of like he's got a coup there already, and he's, he's still popular after all those years. And they went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father, Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. So, actually, Jeroboam, with these people, give this ultimatum to King Rehoboam. This gives us a little idea of what it was like in the times of Solomon. We hear about the the wisdom of Solomon, and we heard last week about his thousand wives, but we know about his riches. But sometimes we wonder, how how did he get all these riches? Well, some of it, because, you know, Solomon was a great builder. He built the temple. He built his palace. He fortified the walls of Jerusalem. He had this elaborate lifestyle. And much of it came from taxing the people. So they were overtaxed, and it was really a burden to them. And uh, the government of Solomon became somewhat similar to our government, kind of a fat government, lots of red tape, private political agencies and agendas, and basically inefficient. And it was that way, but Solomon didn't care because he was doing fine, but the people were under this huge uh, tax. So the northern tribes with Jeroboam, basically they said, We want a tax bill to go through Congress. We want a relief. Hello, in the next few weeks, you're going to get X amount of bucks. That's what they were after. Now, the ultimatum was very simple. You can see it. You don't read it, but let's reverse it. What the ultimatum is this. Rehoboam says, if you refuse 
to give us this tax break, we will revolt and we will not serve you. So they, they did it in the positive way, but you can understand exactly what the negative is. Verse 5, Rehoboam answered, Come back to me in three days. So the people went away. Now, we see here something interesting as we move to verse 6. The king Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father, Solomon, during his lifetime. Before I go on, notice, we see no reference to the king ever consulting who? God. So immediately goes to the elders, there is no consulting of God. Rehoboam should have admitted his need of wisdom, and he should have seriously asked for it from God. But he doesn't. So he says to these elders, who were the older men who had served under Solomon, how would you advise me to answer these people? And they replied, if you will be kind to these people and please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. So the elders, which were the older men here, said, well, young King Rehoboam, you need to be kind to them. What he was saying is, put yourself in their sandals. See what they're under. See the, the trouble that they're living under. And they're asking for some relief. So you do that. You put your feet in their sandals. You be graceful to them. You serve them. And they will respond in a very positive way. And they'll always serve you. I think that's great advice for all of us that are in any kind of leadership. We need to stop from time to time and put ourselves in the shoes of the people we serve. You see, sometimes we get caught up on our own world and we never have a clue of the people's needs that we're serving. We're just leading on and just heading on and doing our thing. Sometimes you've been, if you've ever worked long enough, you've worked in a place where a guy rose up through the ranks of the, of the company. He used to work on the bench or she used to work next to you. Then they became your boss. It was pretty good for a while, but sometimes they forgot where they came from. Know what I'm talking about? And they get cocky and they never listen. So what you need to do is sometimes you need to go back and remember where we came from. We're just exactly like the people we were that we came from. We're all equal. And so, remember, Jesus set the example. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. So I don't care what title you have. I don't care what title I have. Titles are not important. We need to remember that we're here to serve people. So this is a great note for you to write if you're at work or a leader here. If you are a leader, then Jesus says you are really a servant to his people. The people I serve here are not my sheep. You're God's sheep. I'm just a little under-shepherd. And wherever you are, we need to remember that we're serving his people. One of the great principles that I learned from my dad as a pastor, never realizing I would be a pastor, is that a pastor is nothing but a servant to God's sheep. That's all I am. I'm just a servant to God's sheep. I look for that 
When I'm praying about additional elders or other pastors or you know, leaders that are coming up, that's what I look for. I look to see, first of all, if they're servants at heart. Did they get it? The second thing I look for is, are they serving? You can say, well, pastor, I've got it. Show me. That's what I'm looking for. Show me without saying it. It'll be noticed. See, that's the key. You don't have to stand in line and say, I'm ready for the next whatever. It will be very obvious if you're doing what God wants you to do and you're serving people with the right attitude. By the way, when you serve people, it's a good reminder for all of us, we need to be loving it. Say that with a smile. We need to be loving it. I know hundreds of you do, and you're a great joy to me. Thanks so much for your serving. Verse 8. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him. So he makes a pretty bad mistake. Notice something very interesting here. He rejected the advice the elders gave him. He rejects this advice without getting any other advice. What does that tell you? It tells me that he already had his mind made up before he asked for the advice. He isn't comparing it to anything. He just automatically says, ah, I don't, that doesn't sound good to me. Let's go for plan two. Is there another plan out there? I don't like this one. So he already had his mind made up. I think that's a dangerous thing for all of us. You see, really, while these elders are talking, he isn't even listening. He's already made his mind up. Ever guilty of that? Yeah, we all are. Somebody's talking to us, giving this opinion. We're ready to respond back to what I want to tell them. We need to be careful. So he says, and then he consulted the young men. And here's the key you want to watch with who had grown up with him and were serving him. Now, does that mean you're going to get truthful advice from them? Probably not, if they were on the payroll, especially. Verse 9, And he asked them, the younger guys, What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke your father put on us? Now the young man who had grown up with him replied, Tell the people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but our yoke lighter. Tell them my finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. Scorpions wasn't an animal. It was pieces of steel that were put in. I will make it even worse. So what he did was he consulted his yes men. That's a danger. That's why my preference in leadership in a church is to have men who are elders on the, the elder board who are not employees of the church. I'm not their boss. Now, sometimes that can happen, and it worked fine for a number of years. But at currently, we don't have any pastors that are paid that I'm their boss on the elder board. So I get from the elders a true picture of how they feel. That's important. You don't want yes people. You want people who have sought the mind of God. But he gets yes people, kind of like we do in Washington. You know, pay me off. Yes, we'll pay you off. How much is that worth? Yes, we'll vote that way. And that's the way it went. So these young men said, be more demanding. Tighten your controls. Show them who's boss. You might want to write this down. 
go ahead and lead by fear. If you have to lead by fear, you are not leading. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multiple of the counselors, there is safety. So it was good that he consulted people. It is good that you and I consult other Christians. But before we consult other Christians, always consult God first. Okay? Now he's put us in line. And in our counseling, that's what our counseling is about. We take him to the word of God. We Sometimes it's confusing. It isn't right there. And so it's good to have multiple counselors. What should we do and how should we do this and what's there? So it's wonderful. You mean to make sure that we have first things first. Now, one of the positive traits, if you're older, to consult older people. I want to define that age because I'm one of you. What is the positive thing if you can consult someone that's older tonight as a Christian? Well, there's maturity. And the maturity came because we've already made lots of mistakes. We have a real view of what life's about. Because most of us that are mature and older, we're closer to the end than we are to the beginning. So, by the way, the closer you get to that line, the more you realize some of the jazz we argued with and fussed over all those years was worth nothing. What a waste of our time. Argued over all that stuff. As you get out this end, it doesn't mean anything. What's the negative thing? The negative thing is that sometimes as we get older, we get set in our ways. And we all do. We have to be careful. Second, with that, we can become too conservative. We can be really afraid to launch out on something new. Oh, we always did it like, there was this thing here. Cameras in the church. I don't know. And... You know, we can get whatever. And uh, we have to be careful with that. And so with that means that we can become no longer teachable. So those of us that are over 50 night, we need to be careful. You have to be teachable. We need to still be people of faith. I, I like to look at the Bible and I see these guys 80 and 90 going for it. I love it. They're still going for it. Here's one other big key that you have to watch in your life. When you're older... Make sure you don't become bitter. We have a lot of people, not in this church, but as a general sense, older people that have become bitter because of the hurts in their lives. They've never allowed God to heal all those hurts. So you're around them. They have great wisdom, but you don't want to be around them because it's like it's just like poison that pours out at you. So, you know, if you're here tonight and you're an older person and you say, well, Pastor Mark, you don't know all the hurts that happened in my life. No, I don't. But God will heal every single one of them. And you just turn it over to him and get sweet. Because you're miserable. Quit making other people miserable. Seriously. You know, it's amazing that your grandkids wouldn't want to be around you. Because you're just miserable with the things of life. And that's not the way God made us. I mean, it hurts in all of our lives. Lord, help us. So get sweet. I'll the Lord to minister to you. Now, let's go to you younger people. <laughs> What are the good traits for the younger people? Well, they're ready to try anything. They got zeal. They're not afraid of mistakes. They're never going to make any. <laughs> it's good, though, isn't it? What's the negative part of a young person? Well, it's good that they have faith. It's good that they have zeal. It's good they have lots of energy, and they're ready to go for it. The negative thing is you can really be cocky. And have a know-it-all attitude. 
and you really have no clue. So that's why you need balance. It's very important that you have that balance. And the last thing I think is very important is this. You call, as a young person, you call what's important that isn't important. You place the wrong value on things. So that's why we need to have what? Younger and older people together. We need the younger people to say, get out of the boat to us older people. And I get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. And we say to them, I'm getting out of the boat, but I'm taking a life preserver with me. I'm not stupid. Well, that's all right. That's all right. You know, they're out of the boat walking on the water and pretty soon they're under and they're thinking, I didn't make a mistake. Somebody else's fault while they're drowning. Well, it's your fault. So what does Solomon's son do? He listens to the wrong group. He doesn't get what the problem's been all these years. And because of that, you're going to see the pain that's going to come. Look at verse 12. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, and as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered them harshly. Isn't it interesting that his father, Solomon, wrote this verse in Proverbs? A soft answer turns away wrath. So here, the wisest man in the world, I mean, I, wouldn't you like to have the father as the wisest man in the world? He doesn't listen to his father's proverb. And he answers them harshly, rejecting the advice of the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made a yoke heavy, I'll make it even ever, scourge you with whips, I'll scourge you with scorpions. He made the wrong choice. Now look what happens when you don't consult God and when you operate out of the flesh and you make the wrong choice. Look at verse 15. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from God. We'll talk about that in a moment. To fulfill the Lord, the word of the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah, the Shelonite. Now when all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel, look after your own house, O David. So all the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. So in verse 16 and 17, what you have is the split of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel ended in a revolt against Rehoboam because he didn't use God's wisdom. And the nation splits exactly as God said it would do before in two specific groups, one of ten and one of two. The United Kingdom had lasted 120 years. Saul, David, Solomon, 40 years each. Now, the ten tribes in the north, and we'll show you this in a moment, were called Israel. And they are ruled by Jeroboam. The remaining two tribes in the south were Judah and Benjamin. That was the name of the two tribes. And they are collectively called Judah. And they are now ruled by Rehoboam. When Rehoboam assumed the throne over Israel, he immediately made foolish decisions. When the people complained about the burden of taxes, he sought counsel from two different groups. An older, wiser crew that had counseled Solomon and a younger group who would say what Rehoboam wanted to hear. 
Pastor Mark asked us to consider our outlook on life as it relates to our age and to always seek God first. Facebook and Twitter have become a regular part of our everyday lives, and we want to be sure to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links. You can find information about everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, the consequences God predicted for Solomon's sin will come to fruition. The kingdom will be divided and the rulers of both, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, will both live outside of God's laws. Pastor Mark will show us how fear destroys faith and sends us into a tailspin of what-ifs and doubt. That will prove to be a problem for one of these men in ruling both Israel and Judah. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the book of 2 Chronicles. That's next time on Lessons for Living. 